Thank you very much, Cindy and the team. It's good to be together and uh, looking forward to sharing with you this morning. As I mentioned, we've been working our way through a, a mini-series that we have called Trustworthy Sayings, and today is the third in our four-week series, looking at four of Paul's sayings in Timothy and Titus. On five occasions through Timothy and Titus, Paul uses the phrase, here is a trustworthy saying, and we are looking at four of them uh, in this little series the letters to Timothy and Titus are known as the pastoral epistles. And we've been thinking about what Paul chooses as these trustworthy sayings in his letters that he writes to these church leaders with all sorts of instruction and input. So in terms of where we're up to, two weeks ago I spoke on the first of these sayings. 1 Timothy 1.15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was trustworthy saying number one two weeks ago. And then last week, Roger spoke from 1 Timothy 4. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And today we're heading into the book of Titus for the third. So we'll read the passage together. It's in Titus chapter 3. Uh, does anybody have a page number for us? 1199. Thank you in the church Bibles. It will be on the screen, but I always think it's, you might be the sort of person it's helpful to have a Bible because as we're looking through the passage, I do think it sticks that bit more if you can see and refer to it. So do grab a Bible if you'd like to, page 1199, and we'll read Titus 3, uh, verses 1 to 8. So this is what Paul says. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated by one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So there's our passage for this morning, which we're going to look at together. Every year, the Oxford English Dictionary lexicographers 
goodness, that's easier said than done to pronounce. The Oxford English Dictionary lexicographers, the word people, announced their word of the year. And uh, this week, their choice of the word of the year for 2021 has been announced. Now, every year a word is chosen, and it's chosen based on certain criteria, based on rapid increase in the use of the word that year, and one that reflects the ethos and the mood of the year, so one that's got a sort of cultural currency to it, I guess. So, for example, in 2013, the word of the year was selfie. In 2019, the word of the year was climate emergency. And this year's word, 2021, the word is vax. The senior editor of the Oxford English Dictionary said that the word vax, including all of its different permutations, double vaxed, anti-vax and so on, has surged in use this year, making a striking impact on our language. Interestingly, last year for 2020, for the first time, no one word was chosen. They decided it was such an unprecedented year, which made me laugh because I thought that should, be, should have been the word of the year. It was such an unprecedented year in 2020 that they actually chose a handful of words instead, including uh, lockdown, furlough, key workers and bubbles. Words matter and keywords are chosen to reflect the times. I said two weeks ago that Paul uses a specific Greek phrase each of the five occasions when he uses this saying, uh, here is a trustworthy saying, pistos ho logos, and that can literally be translated faithful the word. Paul is saying here each time when he says I'm about to tell you, or I've just told you about a trustworthy saying. He's saying these things are faithful and true. These sayings, these phrases are words to trust and believe in. Words that don't change with the years. They don't surge in popularity or not according to cultural currency or significance or ethos. Faithful words that have been true for all of the years and will go on being true for all of the years to come. Hopefully, vax and double vaxed will one day fade into some kind of insignificance in our minds and our conversations as the pandemic passes. These faithful words, these trustworthy sayings are eternal. And the trustworthy saying today is at verse 4 to 7 in the middle of our passage. Verse 4, when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This, that bit, that whole bit I've just read, this is a trustworthy saying. Not surprisingly for Paul, the focus once again of his trustworthy saying is the gospel. It's the good news about the salvation of Jesus. God's kindness and grace saving anybody who chooses to respond to it through Jesus the Saviour. The eternal life that we find in him. We wouldn't expect anything else from Paul. The gospel is the driving force of his life and his ministry, and it's not surprising that it's the driving force uh, in, in and through his letters. And at the same time, we've got this trustworthy saying, 
here in the passage. And it's actually bookended, if you look at it, with a focus on us, on Christians and our actions. If you look at verses 1 to 3, before uh, this saying and verse 8 after it, all of it around this saying is to do with what we do, our actions and deeds. So it says, submit to rulers, be obedient, do what is good, he says. No malice or envy. Be gentle and peaceable. Be devoted to what is good. So we've got this faithful word, this trustworthy saying, which is about the free gift of grace that can't be earned by things that we do, and salvation set among verses about things that we are to do and how we as Christians are to live. Grace is working into our lives and out from our lives in this passage. Grace is given to us, it's poured into us, and then what's been poured in is to be worked out in the way that we live and behave. What God works into us, we work out. And I think we can look at this passage in those terms, I think, about the inworking and the outworking of grace Grace that works in and grace that then is worked out. Verses 4 to 7 that I read to you, if you're looking at it in your Bible, you'll, you'll see how long that is. And in the original Greek, that is one long sentence. If you take out our English four stops and so on, you'll get a sense of the length of that whole phrase, the whole of verses 4 to 7. And it's helpful to keep that in mind because the temptation, I think, can be to dissect the phrases as we try to understand them, and forget that Paul intended these to be hung together, to relate to each other in one section. And they hinge on the second half of verse 5, where it says, he saved us. That's the key phrase in that long Greek sentence. The rest of the sentence before builds up to it, about God showing his kindness and his love. And everything that follows from that is about how God saves, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, and so justifying us by grace. Paul wants to remind the recipients of his letter about the centrality of the gospel of grace. It's like a, it's like a hinge. It's like the hinge point of everything and the very precious gift that it is. There was a story in the news this week I saw on the BBC News website about a £2 million diamond that was found in a home in Northumberland. A woman had bought what she thought was some costume jewellery some years before at a car boot sale. And she was clearing out her home and she took it to be valued along with a bunch of other small items. And even the uh, value of the person uh, who first looked at the diamond thought it was um, cubic zirconia at first until they tested it carefully, uh, which confirmed it was actually 34 carats and is expected to make over £2 million at auction this month. The gem is bigger than a pound coin. Imagine, you know, a pound coin-sized diamond in a ring on your finger. Mr. Lane, the owner of the business who valued the ring, said it was by far the largest value item he had ever dealt with. The colour, the clarity, the size. To find a 34-carat diamond is off the scale. Look how pleased he looks, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, 
It's not always car boot sales, though, or similar. It's the sort of thing that I used to watch on the Antiques Roadshow, and I kind of would fantasise about happening to me. You know, someone would bring in an old jug, and they'd say, oh, yeah, I bought this in on the bus, and then it would be valued, and they'd be told it was worth tens of thousands of pounds, and they'd get a, a taxi home very carefully and sell it for a huge amount of money. This story about this unexpected, surprised, precious diamond, along with the focus in our passage about Paul uh, emphasising the gift of the grace of salvation, reminds me of stories that Jesus told about the kingdom of God in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. We don't realise the precious gift that we have. It is off the scale. Like treasure hidden in a field. Like a fine pearl. Like a pound coin sized diamond bought from a car boot sale that other people think isn't worth very much. Grace isn't costume jewellery, which sits there cheaply in a cupboard and doesn't get used. The grace of God is precious. And what Paul says is that God works that into our lives, pouring it out into our lives through his love and kindness. The washing of rebirth in verse 5 most likely refers to baptism, which Paul often talks about in his letters as part of the conversion journey for any Christian believer. Baptism is a symbol of new life as we are born again into his family. And we are renewed or made new by the working of the Holy Spirit in us, the inworking of grace. Perhaps you need to receive it for the first time. Perhaps you need to receive it afresh today to be reminded of just how precious it is. We'll come and share communion in a little while. And this is a wonderful opportunity to pause and remember the grace that God works in, that he does freely into our lives through his love and kindness. So God works grace in, but what works in is also to be worked out. The outworking of grace if we've received the kindness of God, if we have responded to his offer of grace and mercy, then for Paul, it only follows, clearly it follows to him, that that makes a difference to how we live. Sometimes it is overemphasized that the Bible talks about good works. We have wrong assumptions that somehow we need to do certain things in order to please God, in order to make God happy, in order for him to accept me, I need to behave in a certain way. Absolutely not. Paul is so keen to stress that it is by grace we are saved through faith. It is faith, not deeds, that save us. But deeds and actions are important. And Paul sees that good works in the world are part and parcel of Christian discipleship. Part of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus day by day. We don't do things to earn our salvation we can't get brownie points from God the Almighty. No, he works grace in. He does that free gift of salvation given to us in his love and kindness and mercy. And that grace then works its way out. That's why the current COP26 climate conference and the state of God's world should concern us as Christians, should really concern us. Cindy 
prayed for us really helpfully earlier on in the service. If we've received God's grace, and it's that that saves, it's the gospel, if we've received that in our lives, then God's heart should be our heart. And we should have a concern for the world that he made. And God's heart is for the poorest. One of our values here at CBC is a commitment to the lost, the last and the least, because that is who God prioritises. And it is, the, it is the poorest who are disproportionately affected by climate change. And so we need to be praying, not just in a national conference, campaigning for world leaders to make courageous decisions, to follow through on them and to make changes in our own lives to care for the world that God has given us and for the safeguarding of the most vulnerable. The Queen spoke to the delegates in Glasgow via video message and a quote from her her statement has appeared on the Piccadilly lights in London. I think they were only up briefly. I don't think they're still there, but this was up in on the Piccadilly Lights, and a a phrase from her speech, the time for words has now moved to the time for action, as she urged world leaders to work towards a safer and stabler future for the planet. And Paul would be agreeing with the Queen here, words and belief need to lead to action. That came out in that clip from Tear Fund as well. Do join us to pray on Zoom tomorrow night. Rod has mentioned it already at 8 o'clock. I'd love to see you there. I'll be there too, wanting to pray and plead with God on behalf of our world and the needs in the middle of this conference. We'll be thinking about issues to do with creation care and praying about them. It is consistent with the gospel that Paul teaches, which is that we're saved by grace and then grace is worked out in our lives. And it's worked out in good deeds, We don't just believe something, we don't just say the right thing. It's demonstrated in the way that we live our lives. That's part and parcel of Christian discipleship. Whether it's doing our best to protect the planet, whether it is being good and diligent work colleagues in your frontline place, whether it is loving and caring for your neighbour or your family or any number of good deeds. Verse 1 in Titus 3, Be ready, Paul says, to do whatever is good. And verse 8, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Paul focuses on this trustworthy saying, built around that phrase, he saved us. And in verse 8, it says, I want you to stress these things. I want you to insist on it, it says in some translations. Insist on it. There's this free gift of grace that's at the heart of the gospel. Insist on it, stress it so that it's worked into our lives and so that it's worked out in our lives in doing good. This trustworthy saying is perfect to focus on as we come towards communion, but to take into your day, today and each of our days, this week and in the weeks ahead, to reflect again on the saving work of Jesus, his grace and his mercy. So we'll invite the band back, we'll pray. They're going to lead us in a song before we come and share in communion. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your kindness and love, which has been poured into our lives through grace and mercy. Thank you for the difference it makes. We want to pray that we would do what is right in outworking that grace in our lives.
speak to us about the gospel and about our response to the gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.